Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome. I just want to give you a moment to center yourself before we go into the Word. To enjoy this breeze, thankful for this covering here, this trees, from the scorching heat. And allow the Spirit of God to speak to you in, through nature and through each other's conversations today. So in, a, in just a second, we're going to exhale, exhale, just all the automatic, ruminating, distracting thoughts and bring it before God's house. And inhale the transcending presence of God, his peace for you, and his voice, calming voice and presence in our lives. All God's people pray. Amen. So in honor of my youngest son, Josh, he turns 10. On Thursday, give my hand. Now I have two teenage sons, it, it, sort of technically. They both hit two digits, just like me. And uh, <laughs> so we're not that, our age is not that different, I guess. A few weeks older. But uh, this past week, in a scorching hot day, Josh and I heard the ice cream truck coming to our neighborhood. And we looked at each other without any words. And synchronized and simultaneously, we both ran to the door. As we were crossing the street, Josh went ahead of me and trying to get to that ice cream paradise, which is a soft serve vanilla with fruity pebbles on top, didn't see a car rushing through. And he almost ended up in heavenly paradise instead, until I pulled him back vehemently. And as we crossed the street, Josh said to me, looked up to me while I was buying the ice cream dozens of times, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, I never told this to my wife, so if he didn't die because of the car, my wife just might kill him today. I had to tell her, so now you know. But he kept saying, Dad, will you forgive me? Sorry, sorry. So did I forgive him for almost giving me a heart attack? For almost giving his mom a heart attack right now? Yeah, of course. He's nine. I can't think of any other way to die except trying to get some ice cream. Better ways to die. I mean, it's one way to die. But all joking aside, um, yeah, I understand. You're a kid, you're excited. But if you ask me a completely different question, do I trust him to cross the street while vaulting to get ice cream? No, never. Maybe when he's 19, actually no, not even when he's 19. You can't trust 19 year olds, 
You can't trust college kids. I, I checked out because I, I hate driving. I want my son to drive me around now. He's turning 16 next year. But I saw the insurance premiums when you add them, and it's like double the rate. And I'm like, what's up with that? Why is it double the rate? And I thought, well, when I, when I was, I towed my car when I was 18. My parents bought me a new car. I towed it within a week because I was bopping to Let Us Pray, Stephen Curtis Chaplin, and, and I was praying, but I totaled the car. Missed a stop sign. And kids today, I mean, what are they doing? They're listening to mumble rap. You can't, I mean, they're probably trying to understand what they're saying, bopping their heads. But would I forgive him? Would I, yes. Would I trust him? Maybe never? Maybe 29. In, in, in real life, trust and forgiveness are not mutually exclusive the way life is lived out because life is messy. It's not like you live life in slow motion and when you enter conflicts with other people and when you enter those messes, misunderstandings and tensions, it's not like you can slow down the inventory of your heart, your inner life and be like, well, what's the difference between forgiveness and trust? Well, by very definition, they're diametrically opposed to each other. In fact, scripture teaches that they're completely in contrast to one another. But when you live it out, it's happened so fast, it's hard to distinguish that. And that's the question and theme topic that we want to answer is how are they mutually exclusive? Forgiveness and trust. Because it's not lived out that way in the messiness of life. But this is the part where we need to grow as people so that we can love one another, bear with one another. Tell someone next to you, bear with one another. You know what a bear is, right? So the Bible, when I, I mean, when I read this portion in scripture, bear with one another in love, I knew that you can't ever have a perfect church. To bear with one another means to be, to be it's, it's like, painful things that happens in our lives. And not all of us are in the same place or the same degrees. And the families of origin and how we handle conflict, how your family of origin handles conflict and how mine, is that way to resolve and cope with that is caught more than taught. And there are maladaptive ways we resolve conflict. And so today I wanna help us to kinda understand, slow down in slow motion, look to the past retrospectively, and try to understand how they're mutually exclusive by very definition, and then apply it in our lives so that we can have healthy, not codependent, and growing relationships, and not be hurt and, and become cynical. So as we look at this text, and because it's so hot, I want to do it in 15 12, no, 12 minutes, record time. 12 minutes. In every parable, and I'm looking back into the parable that we, I addressed two weeks ago, the parable of the wicked servant who couldn't forgive his own servant when he was forgiven a thousand talents, which in, in the English, the NIV translates it a thousand, a thousand bags of gold, but that's actually the wrong translation. It's really a talent, which a talent is a million day wages. 
which is equivalent then if you do it into our context, $15 would be probably the minimum wage. Multiply that by eight, that would be $120 million. So the, this servant is responsible for, a what, 100 million day wages. So it's lost a lot of money. And in, in the first century, not in circulation. So it's a hyperbole, right? There's nothing the servant could do to ever earn or pay back that debt, which by very definition then makes it what? Impossible to earn. So therefore, why forgiveness and trust are mutually exclusive is this. The first, the point of the parable is that forgiveness by definition is entirely and completely unmerited favor. It's, it is 100% grace and 0% works. That's why they're mutually exclusive. Forgiveness is always completely undeserved. There's nothing the party that's receiving it can do to earn the forgiveness. Because th that explicit harm that you've done to someone, and if you've actually done it explicitly, you don't deserve to be forgiven. I mean, there's nothing as, you haven't earned it, right? It's completely grace of the benefactor. The recipient is receiving, by definition, forgiveness. It costs everything for the benefactor and nothing for the recipient. That's the whole point of this parable. The 100 million day wages is impossible to actually rack up and impossible to pay back. And sometimes maybe even impossible to forgive. That's why it's so hard. Forgiveness is hard. How many people here struggle with forgiveness sometimes? Raise your hand if you struggle with forgiveness. You get petty a little bit, right? But here, here's, the, here's the point. The point is, a lot of us have it reversed. We're meticulous about keeping an inventory of the wrongs other people done for us, so I'm not gonna forgive. And we're meticulous about forgiveness, but we're not very meticulous about trust when it should be the other way around. Because trust is 100% earned, while forgiveness is not. So why do you take careful stock, more careful stock of what people have done rather than looking at people's actions to actually, if they're trustworthy enough. But this is how, in real life, this is how it's played out. This is a glaring red flag in all relationships. When someone does something untrustworthy, tell someone untrustworthy, and then has the audacity to demand trust. Like what? You're not, you don't trust me? That's so mean. When someone says to me, Doc, I don't trust you. Are you hurt by that? No. I can earn the trust. I don't deserve the trust. Does a leader de deserve trust because they have a title? No. You look at the presidential polls for both terms. They're always 39, 49, and if you're really high, 56, meaning about half the country don't trust you. Why? Because leadership is failing at a rate people can accept. It's all about trust, all about equity. And so when someone says to you, well, you've forgiven me, now you need to trust me, that's illogical. It's contradictory. For someone to demand trust from you after acting in an untrustworthy way is the most glaring red flag in any relationship. So do they deserve the forgiveness? No, you can choose to forgive. And the whole point of this parable is to forgive because you've been given mercy in the gospel and by God the Father. 
But also what else is interesting is when Peter says, my brother has sinned against me, Peter doesn't say, when my brother asks for forgiveness, when he tries to reconcile with me, when he admits to his explicit faults. Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? He doesn't say, if they come and ask for forgiveness. But then Jesus, interestingly, in this parable, doesn't give a parable about the prodigal son or a family. He makes it very transactional because forgiveness is transactional. You have to be very careful in that inventory of what someone has done for you to forgive them. Because if you don't know what you're forgiving, you're not really forgiving, right? You have to take careful stock. That's why it's transactional. So this past week, in honor of my son turning 10, I'm gonna tell all stories about him. So we went to Target before my uh, wife went to Toronto because I had to watch the kids. It was so hard. I don't see my teenager son at all, so that wasn't hard, but, um, but I missed him. But Josh and I went to stock up on food and snacks. We went to Target. And, and um, Josh, unlike Nathan, is like he calls himself uh, the domestic wife at Target. And he goes, Dad, so what do you need? I go, well, we need dog food, Josh. He goes to the inventory, the computer screen. I go, what is that, Josh? Don't worry. Oh, father. And he presses dog food. Okay, aisle 47. Let's go. He goes, Dad, stop taking the cart. I'm going to take the cart. I'm the housewife. Let me go. I, honestly, I'm very bad with directions. In our family, we looked at Josh in, hold, in like travels. Sometime, one time we were actually going to the airport, we were following Josh, not me. They don't trust me. I'm like, Josh, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm 10, I don't know. But anyway, we went back to Target. So we're going, and then after we go to the self-checkout, and Josh is helping me load all the things, the inventory, scanning it. And you know, Josh is really helpful. And then one time, he takes a, a Diet Mountain Dew that he got two liter, and he, he's giving it to me, but right when he's giving it to me, it bangs on the counter and to the floor, and it rips open. And it soaks me and a lot of other people next to me. And now, it's just sprinkling everybody constantly. If you could imagine this at Target. It was, I mean, it's amazing precision. I mean, basically sprinkled everybody. And the, the people at the counter don't know what to do. So I put my foot on it to stop it from coming out. And Josh, again, this is his story today. He says, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. He keeps saying, I'm sorry. I'm like, Josh, just, just wait. And eventually it stops. And now the person that has to clean it up, he's about to leave for, from his shift. He's about to leave. <laughs> and the person from catch is like, hey, hey, Bob, you need to come clean this up. And Josh is looking at him. I'm looking at him. We're like, sorry. <laughs> and he's like cleaning it up. And he's not in a happy mood, right? He's about to go to dinner, go on a date. I don't know. And then Josh is like, dad, do we have to pay for that? And then the guy on the floor cleaning up says, no, you don't have to. What did it cost us to make the mistake? Well, we're a little bit wet. Everybody's a little bit wet. Nothing. We didn't even have to pay for the two liters of the Mountain Dew. We, ha we got another one. The audacity, right? <laughs> but it cost him everything. He had to bend the floor. He had to clean up. He had to spend more time. So forgiveness by definition is something no one deserves. It's 100% grace. 0% works. The recipient can't do anything to earn your forgiveness. So when you do something, when you forgive someone, you're not moving forward in your relationship. It's not like they've earned trust. No. You 
as a gracious human being evolving to be more like Jesus and more like the Father, is absorbing the cost. So it doesn't propel you forward. Forgiveness is, doesn't equate to trust at all. So if anyone says, well, you need to trust me or you should trust me because I have this title or because that's just how it is, well, that's a red flag that you need to be weary of. They're completely mutually exclusive, but that's not lived that, that way. So that's the first thing. That's the, le that's the point of the parable. What's the lesson? I'm going to make my record time here. So trust by definition is earned completely through merit. It is 100% works and 0% grace. And this is how you should be way more meticulous in why you trust and how you trust than how you forgive. Because forgiveness is something you do out of the goodness of your heart. It's not something that's gonna benefit anyone else, right? I mean, holistically, macroly, it might, but you're the one doing all the work. Trust is about you giving your heart away. That is something you have to be careful about. And the Bible never says trust anybody or everybody. This parable actually doesn't talk about trust, right? When God, the king, canceled the debt, does he say, I'm gonna open up a new line of credit so you can borrow 100 million day wages? No, that's never gonna happen. If you, in fact, if you wanna rent an apartment in New York City, they're what, brutal. You need 80 times that monthly rent, 40 times that monthly rent. Because who cares if you, you go, but I work hard. I'm gonna work hard every day. I'm gonna wake up at 6 a.m. Eh, probably not millennials, oh, that's not gonna happen. But it's all about merit, what you can show on paper, what you do. When it comes to trust, it's more like the Olympics, right? Do you earn a medal for effort in the Olympics? No, you learn, you earn a medal by results. You want a bonus in investment banking? You don't earn a bonus because of effort. It's about results. It's the outcome. In the ESPYs awards, you see Steph Curry, NBA champion, NBA's finals MVP. And he was right. He was really funny when he said, one other basketball player hosted the ESPYs, but he lost that year. And he goes, you're right. He said, this feels a lot better, what he did. That was a funny joke. For those of you who don't, I have a thing with LeBron. Anyway. So, Chloe Kim was like featured, you know, Korean American, fellow Korean American, and you know, as a champion gold medalist. Well, why is she featured? Well, all meritocracy. Nespi is all about merit. It's all about winning the gold. It's the outcome, it's the results. So, trust then, how we trust others is not based on feelings, it's not based on what people say, it's what they do. Right? Jane Austen is very helpful here when she says, what defines someone? Not what they intend to do. What defines them is what? What they do. So see what people do and then trust. People need to earn your trust. And that's why when we wrap up this whole concept of this parable, who is the most trustworthy in your life? Oh, based on the results what they've done, their character shows. Because if you're gonna fulfill a problem, a, a promise, it's gonna be their character that has to fulfill it. So you have to see what they do, not what they say. 
And it comes down to this. Who's the most trustworthy? God. When you make inventory, when you take inventory of your heart about who you should trust, the ultimate trust you should give in your life, who we can trust, it's Jesus, right? I mean, he died on the cross. Trustworthy. And that's how trust and forgiveness are mutually exclusive. And let me just tell you this. Why you're angry, why we're hurt, it's always because we get these two things mixed up. So in the dominant part of how we trust, we trust God first. Then, second, we trust others based on what they've earned. And let people earn trust, slowly. No one deserves trust. That's the definition. So today, as we look how we resolve and navigate through conflict of our lives, the church is not perfect. Our, our families of origin, definitely not perfect. Our friendships are not perfect. But if we know clear expectations, and we can take careful inventory of what, where people are at and how we navigate through this, we can have a far healthier church community, far healthier family, a far healthier world, better for everyone. So will you stand with me? So if there's some unclarity, something you're struggling through in your life today, some things you can't see about the future or some conflicts or whatever it may be, what has God the Father done already in your life, past the retrospective grace that gives you a anchoring for future grace. And that's how the mechanism of trust happens. Just don't do it by feeling. But I feel fear, I feel anxiety. We have to learn to differentiate those two things and begin to use that mechanism. So we're gonna make this our prayer. Will you lift your hands with me to the Lord today? And will you remember the times God has come through in your life? And will you allow the Spirit of God to give you a anchor for trust, trusting him. And let that be the extension in which how we trust others and forgive others. Clear expectations right now. Thank you. 
before you this afternoon we want to forgive ultimately as an extension of your generosity and goodness because we trust you we know that you told us to forgive like you've forgiven us and so we forgive as we look to you others that don't deserve it and we didn't deserve to be forgiven either and we also trust you and put our life into your hands because you are the most trustworthy. So will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy.